That is the model that I came up under. And I have a picture, which I could not find, of me and all my college buddies decked out in the full pads with the jackets, kind of standing there looking like this, like we were in control. And she promised us in that song, you know, when I was 17, I was the good little Christian girl doing the thing, growing up in Tennessee, you know, dotting all my I's and crossing all my T's because I wanted to be in control of my relationships with God and everybody else by following all the rules. And then I got very tired of following all the rules, tried some things, kind of walked out the door on my mom and dad when I was 17, turning 18, did uh, put away all the rules, followed my own route. That got me in deep trouble. And then the Lord in his mercy reached out to me and he showed me. Um, I am very influenced by music, by media, by books that I read, articles, all that fun stuff. Who was she very influenced by? Who did you see oozing out of every pore of her? Her brother, her older brother, her big brother. We all have people who mold us, shape us, make us. That's the business God has put each of us in, at least to some degree, because that's why we're here, right? And so... For those of you who don't know, my name is Jeannie. I have five children, 14 down to seven. Um, Just like all of you, school was canceled about seven o'clock this morning, so four of them are running crazy around the house right now as we speak. Um, They put on Christmas music and started doing their chores just so they could knock it all out about 7.30, and I'm just like, wow, I'm going to cancel school more often because this is what I like. Um, Janet promises us that she is in control. And that we hope she likes it and she has lots of it. And I'm here to tell you, I have none of it. And I laughed hard when they told me that my topic was control and what it is to be a controlling mom. Because my husband, anybody that knows me would tell you I'm just basically on my best day, organized chaos. That's just about all it is. So we are going to talk today about three aspects of control. What it feels like for us to assume and believe and live under the lie that we are in control, okay? And we've got it together. I am not. If you came here hoping to hear from somebody who does, then you need to come back on a different day. Um, And how we truthfully in reality are all out of control, that that's reality, that's the chaos that we live in. Because once sin sin entered the world, our life became truly chaotic in a way we couldn't affect. But how... In Christ, knowing him as your Lord and Savior, you come under his control and you come under his protection and his provision and you find out what it is like to live in a um, realm where the external may be completely chaos and going out of control, but your internal core, the center of your being, is centered and resting in Christ. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Let me pray for us as we get started. Lord, we thank you that there are no power outages with you that you don't ever lose connection, that we can always be with you and around you and found in you, and we can rest in you, Lord, because you've got it under control. Help us to learn to abide in that today as we look at how control fits in with John 15 and our theme for this year. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Allison, for Desi, for all the women who put this together and who laid their stuff aside today to make this day happen. Help us find our rest and our um, greatest hope and our desire and the self-control we look for in you today. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, now, I, um, I'm going to do a little training application along the way. When you study the Bible, a lot of times you see it go from theology, who God is, to who we are, then to what we do about it. But I think with moms, I know your bandwidth is very small. If you're like me, your short-term memory went out with labor and delivery that's in your placenta, and the more you've delivered, the more of it's gone. And so I know that you may be in and out this morning and things may happen. So I decided instead of saving all the application for the end, we're just going to embed it along the way because I don't know what parts you're going to be listening to and you don't either. Okay. So we're just going to hop back and forth and relax. First of all, we just want to say relax, rest. Everything I will say or was supposed to say is on notes that will be up on the website. Even all my commentary, it's there. You can listen to this. If you want to sit there and hold your baby, or eat your breakfast, and you don't want to write a darn thing down, nobody's going to be offended. It's there for you. If it makes you happy to take notes, there's pretty notes there with actually pins that have the nest on it. Have at it. You have the spectrum to do. But we want you to relax. We want you to be provided for. And we want you to know that you are loved. And 
If nothing else, you are in good company with people who are in the same spot you are. Um, one of the things that I love to do as a student of the Bible, I don't want to tell you what I think about being controlling and about what control looks like. I want to tell you what God says, because that's the only thing that matters and the only thing that's going to change your life. And so when I was early in the days of Bible study, one of the things they taught us to do is just get out your dictionary. As soon as you're look, you're struggling with something, if you're struggling with anger, you're struggling with hate, you're struggling with um, lust, you're struggling with materialism, Go look it up in the dictionary. See what Webster had to say about it. He knew the Lord, very informed by Scripture. So Merriam-Webster is now for your very much wish fulfillment out there on the Internet. You can look up any words you want to. The word control means to check, to test, to verify by evidence or experiments. It means to exercise restraining and directing influence over. Isn't that what we would like to have the power to do with our kids? We would love to exercise some directing and restraining influence over. I have none. To have power over, to reduce the incidence or severity of especially to innocuous levels. Okay? So you, let's think about Ebola. If you're from Tennessee, you say Ebola. Let's think about the desire to control that and release and, you know, control the expansion of that among us. Okay? Control, that's the verb. Now we go to the noun. It's also a noun. So we're doing a lot of vocab in our house with our middle schoolers. So you have to know lots of times if a word is a noun or a verb because if they see it on the test and it's used like a verb but they think it's a noun, you know. So keep that in mind. Parts of speech. The power to make decisions about how something is managed or done. That's what we hope to do as moms. The ability to direct the actions of someone or something. We would love to do that. Husbands included. An action, method, or law that limits the amount of growth or something. Okay? What we all long for is the control over our environment to when our babies get out of our house and go off to school, go off to college, go off to marriage, that they are entrusted with the truth and that they behave a certain way. That's what we would like. We would like to see us, ourselves, me, mine, and I, respond in a way that reflects Christ. And so the illusion that I grew up under is that I could be in control. And I could get what I wanted by working hard, by following the rules, by doing everything they say and growing kids God's way, by doing, um, living up to everybody else's expectations. And if you gave me a plan, I wanted to execute. And then I, I thought that if I did my part, that God was going to do his part. You know, I have a quiet time. I'm going to have perfect peace all day long. I'm not going to have to practice perfect peace. I'm just going to have it all day long, right? It doesn't work like that. So we're going to look at what control is, what it isn't, what is his, what is mine, and what is what we share together, okay? Now, here is... Um, There is other definitions that I loved. To direct the behavior of a person or animal. To cause a person to do what you want. This is a little simplified version. To have the power over something. To direct the actions or functions of something. To cause something to act in a certain way. We would like to have the world, our kids, ourselves respond in a certain way. Okay? And I think it's really interesting. We're studying Moses in one of the studies that I'm in. And he gave God all kinds of excuses about why he couldn't do what God asked him to do in Exodus 4. And the last of which God responded to when he just goes, God, I can't do it. Send someone else. God's going, look, I got it. I already have Aaron on his way to meet you. I will tell you what to say. You will tell Aaron what to say. And here's what he says that I think it's so interesting. And it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. And how all of us long to be that voice in our children's life, to be the one that goes, look, God told me the right answer. I did it the wrong way to begin with. I know how this plays out. Listen to me. And did they have them go and act on that? It doesn't work like that. But God did give Moses the privilege of knowing, having such a direct connection with him that he would tell Moses what to say, Moses would tell Aaron what to say, and it would get delivered. I wish it worked like that in my house. It does not. Okay, and he would give the staff in his hand that he could perform signs with. God gives us his rod and his staff to comfort us. He gives us his word. As our kids are studying Nehemiah coming out of On Your Mark and K-1 Race, for those of you who have kids there, they studied about how Nehemiah fought and built the wall. He had a sword in one hand and he built with the other hand because it's both and and it's the balance. This is the definition for kids, for those of you who, like me, just have to have it pared down. 
Control, to keep within limits, to control your temper is an example. That's a big area that I struggle with. To have power over, to reduce the number of individuals or cases, especially to the level that is not dangerous. We want to reduce the level and the impact of sin, our sin, the world's sin, their sin in their life, to where it's manageable and they can do it. How do we do that? Okay? We get into God's Word. So what I've done for you today is I did a word study on control. I'm not going to read to you every passage, but I'm going to read to you the ones that touched my heart. Another thing you can do on the World Wide Web at Bible Gateway in your concordance, if any of you, how many of you know what a concordance is? Oh, that's great. Because see, there are a lot of people that are even forgetting that. They just Google everything. They just Google the word and look it up and then they find it. You can go to Bible Gateway, Google Control, and you, it will list out for you every verse on control. If you're struggling with anything, my first admonition to you is to go to your Bible, look up every verse you can find on that issue, and write it out. Okay, do a word study. Let the word of God speak to you. Keep a notebook, keep a running set of index cards of verses that you find that you are pouring your mind over. Because especially right now during the early stages of mommy, not a lot gets through. And what does get through, you don't hold on to very well. So repetition is your friend. I encourage you that when you hear the stories down in um, starting blocks, know what that story is, the 52 Bible biggies. That's the story you do every day with your kid. Go deep. Don't go wide. Don't, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Take what you're learning and go deep with it. And so at the nursing stage, at the stage where you're just sitting there holding them, have a notebook, just a simple notebook. Maybe try to look up a verse a day on your issue. Write it in there. Let it build over time. When John and I were first introduced and married, I worked for a guy that led him to Christ named Joe Chilberg. And this has become my, my, the way I think. This has become my just gut-level reaction when I enter a passage in the Word. And it's called a roadmap. And so we're going to move on to the slide that says roadmap. Um, this is how you study God's Word. It takes a piece of paper, of notebook paper, or your journal. You read the passage. Look at different versions. Copy what strikes your heart out on a piece of paper. Then observe, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about man? What are some words in here I don't understand? I need to really go to Webster and look up in the dictionary. Then A, answer the question, what attitude does this address in my heart? I think I'm in control and I'm not. Um, And then direction, what direction do I take from this passage? What am I going to do about it? And then the maps part of the acrostic that he taught us is to meditate on it. Maybe take a walk, put it on an index card, chew over it all day long. The early part is a good thing to do early in the day when you're studying God's word, and then maybe the map part is something you do later in the day, okay? Or if you have time to do it all together in your journal, just remember that acrostic. If you don't know what to do with a passage, we're studying James now from in our larger worship or whatever you're studying at your church, take that chapter, and before you ever hear the pastor preach on it, do a roadmap. See what God would be telling you to do with that passage before you hear what somebody else has to say, right? So you meditate on it, make a card journal, apply it to today. How's that going to affect today? The way I act with my husband, my kids, my neighbor, um, the way I think about myself. And then pray it out loud. I really encourage you to pray scripture out loud as you're driving in the car, as you're cooking. Take a verse, have it with you there at the um, sink, have it in your car. Pray that out loud to God and that scripture will become a part of you. Two of the songs that we had looping today, I don't know if you know of Francesca Bastatelli. I don't think I can say her last name right. Her words, my daughter introduced me to her. It has spoke volumes to my soul. And she has a song that I want you guys to all go home and listen to. It's called When the Crazy Kicks In. It's called crazy. It's before the crazy kicks in. Get in your word. Get in your Bible. Open it up. Today, I would encourage if you have them with you and you're not holding a little one, get your Bible out because now we're going to go on a little journey. And I'm going to take you through God's word. We're not going to read all the verses that I found on control, but I just want to highlight to you, want to highlight for you some interesting ones that I found and how I feel like they interact with what we're going to talk about today. Now, the first one took me back because we did a camp called Out of Control when I was in youth ministry. 
And I think it is fascinating that the very first reference that it had for me was in Exodus 32. It said that Aaron, who we just talked about, while Moses had gone away to get the Ten Commandments, he was getting his control journal. He came back. Aaron had let the kids go on wild. And I don't know if you've ever come home and you've gone away for a retreat or a girls' night or whatever, and you've come in and you've left your kids in charge with your husband or your husband in charge of your kids, however that's supposed to go. And... (laughs) It is just chaos, and you walk in, and nothing robs my joy more than walking in, and I've kind of left the house in some semblance of order, and it's just complete chaos. Well, that's what happened to Moses. He walked out to get the Ten Commandments, and yes, it did take 40 days. It was a little bit of a long retreat, but God, he came back. Moses saw that the people were running wild in verse 25. He had let them get out of control and so become the laughingstock of their enemies. And isn't that our deepest fear? Is that your deepest fear at a mom? Is that your house, that your man, that your kids would be running so far out of control that you become a laughingstock? That's where the shame and guilt sets in. Brene Brown, who JP had put us on to, talks about how shame and guilt, um, if you're coming from a worldly perspective, all you're ever thinking is what will they think if they knew? What will they think? If you're coming from a healthy self-awareness for need for change, you're going, what can I do to get better, to get more like Jesus? How can I improve? It's a perspective of, am I living to please man? Am I looking around like Moses did? He looked to the right or the left and go, hey, nobody sees me. They won't know that I killed the Egyptian. Versus looking up and going, what what does God think about me? What's true? Okay? We fear. I don't know about you, but I fear being the laughing stock of my neighborhood. I fear somebody showing up at my house and it being in such disorder that it's a poor reflection of Christ. It's a poor reflection of John. It's a poor reflection on me, honestly you know, and what I have to say about things. So that's what we don't want to, I just thought it was hysterical. And we did that camp 25 years ago. And here God has us still addressing the same issues with our families. Um, In 2 Chronicles 17, we have a contrast to Aaron. We have Jehoshaphat. It said, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he was followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baal, so he didn't worship idols. He had put off the old self being corrupted by its deceitful desires. He sought the God of his father, followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Okay, so that's what we desire. We want to pass down commands. We want to be so in control to some degree of what we impart that they could follow us. They can imitate us as we follow Christ. Jehoshaphat sought God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practice of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control. And that's where we want to move today. We want to move to the, from the vice grip, if you guys can clench your hands, of being in control. I've got it. I'm your go-to girl. Don't need your help. Um, you swing all the way to the other end of being out of control, flailing, no clue what's going on. Then there's the, the disdainful, I don't care anymore. I nothing you. Because you can't affect me. You can't touch my peace. I don't care. We, we have those postures that we can take to this posture of being open-handed before God going, you're in control and I'm not. Take me. Use me. Fill me. Okay? Make me something that you want me to be. Jehoshaphat did that. And the Lord, who's the, who's the noun and who's the verb for you parts of speech, girl? The Lord established the kingdom under his control. And all Judah, what did they do? What did their children do? brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he got rid of the idols. He removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. So at once, it's a both and. Okay, we want to be living in a place of self-control, that we're saying no to the things and teaching our kids to say no to the things they need to say no to. And God is establishing order through us that we know his word, we cling to it, we live it. Okay, Psalm 32. Um, We don't want to be like the horse or the mule that must be controlled by a bit or bridle. Proverbs 16, better a patient man than a warrior, okay? One with self-control than one that takes a city. And I want to go back, Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I'm going to say this later, but it's truer now than it's ever been. When you're sitting feeding that baby, when you're sitting nursing, if you don't hear anything else today, and I'll probably say that a lot. If you don't hear anything else, read a psalm over that baby. Next time, read a proverb of the day over that baby. 
Okay, today is October 3rd. Read Proverbs 3. That's the greatest place you could start. Our kids are learning discernment this next month in On Your Mark and K1 Race and Crossroads. The verse is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight. He will direct your paths. He will instruct us in the way we should go. But he can't do that if we won't read the map. That's why Joe had us do roadmaps. Your only hope for control, girls, is to get yourself in God's word. Pour that word over your baby's heart and hope that it watches both of you clean. So when I would sit and nurse, I would read a psalm out loud and pray it out loud over my baby, and then I would go to a proverb. And then maybe the next time I'd do a next devotion. You are still feed your soul while you feed that baby. We'll talk about illustrations of that later, but this Psalm 32 is another great place to start. If you do a Psalm a day, you give or miss those days, you get through the Psalms twice a year. That is the best medicine for your soul. That gets you right with God. Proverbs gets you right with your fellow man. It's simple. Nobody likes to hear it. It's like push-ups and sit-ups, really. I mean, nobody likes it, but that's the best way to get it done do it. It says, do not be like the horse or mule in Psalm 32, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, that they will not come to you. Many of the woes of the wicked, okay, from people who follow their own way, but the Lord's unfailing love surround the man who trusts in him. And that's what we want to do. We want to surround ourselves with his love. Um, Proverbs 25, like a city whose wall is broken down is a person who likes self-control. We don't want to be what the world can just get in and out like the tide. We want to have walls around us that protect us, that help us to guard our minds and hearts. His control can give us that, okay? Um, Ecclesiastes 2. This is how the mom feels on her worst day. 18 through 20. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. There will come a day, and it has come for me, when I look at my child and I go, everything I'm pouring into you, I feel like it's for nothing. And I'm going to leave all I have to you, and you're going to squander it away, especially the spiritual heritage that we're trying to leave. And who knows whether the person will be wise or foolish. We don't know whether any of these babies are going to grow up and bless us like Jehoshaphat or whether they're going to do the Aaron gig or whether they're going to do the Asa gig. We don't have a clue. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. And girls, a lot of days that sombers me. I'm pouring myself into these children, into the next generation. What are they going to do with it? It scares me, okay? They will have control over it. So if I'm not sowing the eternal, if I'm sowing genie's wisdom, and I'm sowing my best practice, it's for nothing. But if I'm sowing God's word, and God has tendered that heart and made it fertile, that word's going to come to bear, right? It says, this too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor over the sun. And those are the days I want to quit. And I want to go work at Modica Market in Seaside. And I'm going to learn how to fix their chicken salad. And nobody is going to bother me. Because I am going to wait tables at night. I'm going to work there during the day. And I'll have one day off a week. And my life will be perfect. And that's where I'm going. And so if any of you need to find me and I've checked out, that's where I am. And I will not have a cell phone. It will not make the trip with me. And they cannot find me there. Okay? You can find me there, but not them. Okay, now, Nebuchadnezzar, here's something so interesting. God is ultimately in complete control, right? And so in Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, he says, go tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says, you have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you'll get an iron yoke. And if you think you can control your world, it's like saying I'm going to get a divorce because the next marriage is going to be better. If you think the one you're in now is bad, just wait. Okay, because it don't get any better. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will put a yoke of iron on the necks of these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and they will serve him. God places us in places of bondage, just like he told the Israelites in Genesis 15. They were going to go into bondage in Egypt, and he was going to bring them out to what? Demonstrate his glory and his goodness. That's what he's doing in all of us. We're all in situations like that. God prescribes those out-of-control, chaotic power losses and cars breaking down on 75, which happened to me two weeks ago on the access road. I was going to share my testimony before people who needed to hear what false media and pornography can do to your soul. My car breaks down. God clearly does not want me to deliver that message. So I sit there and pray. That was not my time, not my place. I could have been all in fits about it, or I just sat there and prayed. You have a choice. This is what God, the power God gives the people in his world. 
I will even give him, being Nebuchadnezzar, control over the wild animals. God is ultimately in control. And he can give power to whoever he wants to do it. The only thing we can do is surrender to God and whatever position he puts us in, use the influence we have there. Right now, it's for you. It's on your knees, scrubbing the floor, you know, wiping up spit up, cleaning poopy diapers, making 16 meals that people won't eat, and we'll just say, yuck, this tastes like throw up. You are in the midst of that right now. You fed a baby. You've got them nursed. You're ready. You're dressed. I was getting out at Seaside to see all these people that I was going to dinner with who hadn't yet met my daughter. I'd fed her black beans for the first time that day. I get her out and put her on my arm. My arm is black. Her outfit is black. She has pooped black beans everywhere. We have no recourse. This is my first child introducing him to Joe, the guy who met and introduced us. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, the wait at the restaurant was an hour and a half. So what did I do? Cleaned her up the best I could, sat her on that arm. We played meet and greet for an hour. And then we went through and got some drive in and went home back to the condo. I I couldn't wait the wait because I had to feed her and she had pooped all over herself. They didn't know that because she was sitting on my arm under a blanket. We just went with it. So you have the power to make those sort of choices, right? Acts 24, several days later, Felix came in with his wife, Drusilla. You're going to encounter those people in your world who are going to be very entertained by your lack of control and chaos, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul to listen to him and spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. And how many of us do that? When our friends... Our mentors, our people come along with the right message and the real truth about suffering, about self-control, about righteousness. We don't want to hear it. I've had enough of that. I want somebody to Calgon, take my bad mood, my pain away. And girls, all recovery issues, all, CR issues, Al-Anon, AA, anything, it's all rooted in control. And the fact that I don't have control and I'm medicating or the fact that I'm doing my best to take control and I'm mad I can't, or the fact that I'm completely out of control and I'm so depressed about it that I want to do something destructive. It's all rooted right there in control. Um, Paul talked about it. Felix didn't want to hear it. He said at the same time he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. We're hoping, you were hoping when you showed up here today that I was going to tell you something, I was going to give you that magic key, that trick, that verse that's going to give you ultimate control, and I'm telling you, it doesn't exist. It only is found in Christ and in full surrender to him. Now, I'm not going to read all of Romans 6. I'm very tempted, but when you lack it, this is where you need to go, okay? Because in verse 20, it says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. That's why the, that's why the concordance took me here, but the truth is all around it. It says, now, it says, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, in verse 17, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So the good news and the bad news of today is you are free from the control of sin. Jesus, in his mercy on the cross, removed the penalty of sin for us. It was death. It's gone. Right now, we still live in the presence of sin, Therefore, we need control. He has left it in his presence. But you, through Christ's spirit working in you in his word, have the power to say no to sin. You didn't have that before. You could only live to please yourself and your flesh. And then in glory, he will remove us from the presence of sin. Okay? That's where we get the presence of sin is gone. Okay? Right now, we're out from under the power of sin. We can say no to it. But in glory in heaven, we'll be out from under the presence. That's what we live for. That's where we set our sights, okay? We can't wish all our pain away. We want to control our pain. That's the root issue of, that all of us struggle with. Okay, I think this is interesting in 1 Corinthians 7, and I hate to hit a bunch of new nursing moms over the head with it, but it's so true. This passage is about giving yourself to your husband wholeheartedly, so that unless you have a time of prayer, a fast that you've both agreed upon, he does not lose self-control. And one of the positions I regularly put John, and I'm sure some of you put your husbands in, is when we withhold love from those who deserve it, when it's in their power to act, we're not affectionate with our eyes, with our hands. We don't love them. We don't spend near the time with them that we spend with the baby. We put them in a position of lacking self-control. 
We have that power over them. And I don't think it's by accident that God took this to the last verse for me. Because you know what? I want to prepare my talk to come talk to you. I want to clean my house. I want to get my kids where they need to be on time. But do I really want to love my husband well? And when I stand before Jesus, do you know what he's going to ask me? How well did you love John? Not how clean your house was. Not how many carpools you hit on time. Not how many friends you helped out. He wants to know did you love John well? Because when you marry and when you yoke together, that's our role as the helper suitable. That's another talk, but keep that in mind. Okay, can we expect self-control from an unredeemed heart? You have a bunch of pagans that you're holding here right now. And until they embrace Jesus, they are creating havoc down there for all those child care workers I know. They don't know Jesus. And yet we're expecting them to manifest Christ-like behavior. They don't know Jesus yet. How do they figure it out? By watching us manifest Christ-like behavior. And then more is caught than taught, okay? Scripture tells us in Galatians 3, Scripture, the word, the law that Moses went up on the hill and got has locked everything under the control of sin, meaning that unless you're obeying it perfectly, you're living in sin. Living under control looks like this, okay? Now, Philippians 3, join together in following my example. All we can do, girls, the only control we have is to draw a circle and stay inside. Work on your own soul. Work on your own self-control. Work on your anger. You can't make your kids do anything. And you can't cause them to act a certain way, but you can model it. Okay? Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as I have told, kept you as a model. Just as you have kept us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before and now tell you with tears, many lives of the enemy of the cross. And girls, I'm here to tell you there's five of them in my own house. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. We are surrounded by people who live and operate under a different economy than the Christian does. Okay? You have to set an example and be different. Okay? Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, camp there. He has the power to bring everything under his control, and we eagerly await him. Are you living for him to establish heaven here on earth for you? Did you think that was going to happen through your marriage and being a mom? Because for me, wife and mom were it. That was my heaven. That's what I prayed and asked God to do. That's why I obeyed. Well, I'm here to tell you it's nothing but a training ground to make me more like Jesus and make me want to go to heaven, right? It makes me want to be there right now that we talk about it. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. That's what he's doing. He has given you the impetus, the pain of your disappointment and your false expectations and your husband and wifedom and motherhood and neighbors and friends and family. That pain to point you to Jesus who can transform your earthly body to be like his glorious body. That's where our hope is, okay? First Thessalonians 4. I memorized Titus 2 last summer. Janet Pope has a book, His Word in My Heart. Highly recommend it. She wrote it when she was at our stage of the game while she was folding laundry. If you can't do anything else, get one verse a day. Start with Titus. I'm going to tell you right now because that's where she started. With Titus, if you don't want the whole book, start with Titus 2. Memorize one verse a day until you've got it. When you're washing dishes, when you're driving the car, when you're folding laundry, say that one verse to yourself over and over. And before you know it, you will have the chapter. It has control in there four times. If you want to, and that's the thing, studying God's word and doing word studies is it takes you, it tells you what the theme of it is. Okay, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that if we want to learn to please God, this is how we should learn to, we should live in order to please God, learn self-control. Okay, not going to read the whole passage, but it's in there in 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Timothy says, in the same way, women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, like Todd's been talking about, controlling the tongue, temperate and trustworthy in everything. 2 Timothy 3. This is who we live with. People will be without self-control. Not going to read the whole passage, but you can. Titus 1. This is the gospel, girls. This is where it gets, this is where it really, really abides, okay? In Titus 1, 7 through 9, it talks about a a godly overseer as um, self-control. But in Titus 2, it says, for the grace of God has appeared to us. It offers salvation to all people. 
It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. This is Titus 2, 9 through 11. And teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives while we wait. And the trouble with most of us and while your kids can't manifest self-control and while we can't is we just won't wait. We want what we want right now. We actually want it yesterday, but we definitely want it now. And that's why we have no self-control, because we've lost the ability to wait and delay any gratification. Upright and godly lives, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself to redeem for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Okay? When you are centered in Christ, when you are waiting on him, when you are letting his spirit fill you, you manifest control. It comes by getting in his word every day. It's like when the power went out. It was cut off from the head, the source. When the power surges back through, the light comes on. It is that simple. We know in 1 John 5, it says that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. That's what we want control over, right? And we want to teach our kids to control themselves. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. The evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Don't expect to redeem the world. Expect your soul to be redeemed and you to share that hope of redemption with the souls around you. But we want the world to be made right. He says it's under the control of the evil one. He wants us to be made right. And we spend so much time and energy trying to efficiently and productively control the external and we neglect the internal. And that's all we have to work on. Okay? So we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. That's what he's telling us in John 14, John 15. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We are in him who is true. That's where true control comes from, from being there. Okay? Now, in Revelation 16, this is a hard note to end on with our word study, but it's true. It says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch the people with fire. They were seared by intense heat. They cursed the name of God, who had control over the plagues. God was sending these plagues. He's in charge. But they refused to repent and glorify him. And girls, if there is self-induced pain in your life because you are demanding your own way and you are going about things the way that you know God would not have you go about them, he will sear you with that pain because he loves you, just like you will discipline that child for the purpose of righteousness, okay? But they would not repent and glorify him. May we not be the women who refuse to repent and do things God's way, okay? If we want, how many of you would like to have ultimate control and power over your realm? Would you like that? Because I would like that a lot. I'm going to raise both hands, okay? If you want everything you wish done, the power of knowing all, the ultimate BFF who will never leave you or forsake you, whatever you ask given, he promises us that in John 14. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, okay? We're not to leverage that to get the purse that we want. But he says, what's the condition? Remain in him. We remain in him. Then he changes the desires of your heart. My perverted verse, um, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I perverted that, that if I delighted myself in him, he would give me a husband and a family. He became the desire of my heart. Okay, down further in 15 and 16, it says, Instead, I've called you friends. We are his BFF. For everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. We know it all. We are know-it-alls, Right? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now love each other. That's how we know if we've got it, if we're in control or not. In this situation, in the chaos of a broken down car, in the chaos of a power adage, can we just love one another like he's calling us to do? That's what he's calling us to do. Now, in control, the illusion, the lie, the grasping, you better follow me or else. Okay, we're on to the next slide. We are on a pendulum. Okay, we're swinging back and forth. You do it my way or else. And John says all the time, I make these big threats that I don't even remember I make and never follow through on. That's the lie. And this is the posture, grasping your hands, clenched, tight fists. You're going to do it my way. We're on the wheel. We're going to get there on time, okay? I went from a wife of being just so glad to be here, Minnie Pearl, 
Oh, Grand Ole Opry, most of you weren't born yet. But Roy Acuff would ask her how he is, and she would, she would just go, well, Roy, I'm just so glad to be here. And I went from being that girl in the car, the driving illustration of, I'm glad you're driving. I'm glad you picked me to go on your trip with you. That's where I was with John when we married. I got to the point of every time we would go out on a date, I would be like, you got to let me drive. You make me car sick. We can't get from here to Preston Center without me getting car sick. I went to having to have control. To instead of being just so glad to be here, I get in the car with him, I get car sick. You know, that's a swing. And that was definitely an indication of my heart and where I was and that my mind and my thoughts were so chaotic that I couldn't even center myself to get in the car and get on a date without really getting car sick because so much was spinning out of control. Um, Another story to let you know that I know exactly where you are. I'd had my fifth baby. We had moved, moved out of our house because the floors buckled, moved back in the house, had her a week early. I'm in Walmart. My house is still not together. We still don't have curtains on the windows, so my kids are having a hard time using the bathroom. And um, I'd gotten two basketfuls of stuff to the um, checkout line at Walmart. My oldest was in first grade. I had to make a noon pickup. I took all the kids with me to Walmart. The three are running crazy. Sydney, my responsible one, who she's the one that will probably, she, will, she has self-control. I don't know where she got it. She um, is with the checkout line. I'm like, Sydney, wait right here with a basket. You can put things up. I'm going to go back. I forgot the rings that go on the shower curtain, I've got to go get them or we can't hang the shower curtain, blah, blah, blah. So I've got Lucy on my chest. I'm walking back. It's just a, that much, like three aisles back and over to get to this Walmart to the curtain rings. Jay and Emily Jane are not excited that I've gone. And so they are fighting and following me up the aisle. And Jay, I hear him go splat because I've already made it around the corner. And I hear them yelling and screaming. And there's this lady who comes out around the corner and she looks at me. And then she looks at them and she goes, they yours? I'm like, yeah. She's like, you going to do anything about that? And I'm like, well, I've just got to get these curtain rods, and then I'm going right back. And she's like, what if somebody takes them? I'm like, they'll bring them back in five minutes, I promise. <laughs> and she's like, I'm just trying to banner with her, you know, trying to get a little compassion. She sees I've got the newborn. I'm like, you know, look right here. No compassion. And she's like, well, if you couldn't do any better than that, you just ought to cross your legs and quit trying. And I'm like, oh, she just said that. You know, so I have Lucy. I'm trying to manifest calm. I'm trying to manifest calm. And I'm like, you know what? This is a line I used in recovery. It's not mine. You just need to draw a circle and stay inside. And I stood there, and I looked at those curtain rods. I'd already gotten the ones I wanted. But I looked at those curtain rods until she walked away. And my kids were screaming. It was a three-ring circus. And I'm just like, there. You draw a circle and stay inside. You know? That's the world that we're in. They're looking at our chaos. I understand where you are. I have days like that every day. I can promise you, I can tell you stories to make you feel good about the mom that you are because that is where I am. That instance, then I go home for my dad's 80th birthday when Lucy's two weeks old. I come back, I go, you know what? I've been telling all the alcoholics and drug abuse people in my family that they need recovery, but I was broken with my first baby, my fifth baby, sorry. I wish I'd been broken with my first baby. I still had the illusion then. I need recovery. I need to get in Al-Anon. I need to go. So I go with Lucy Nursing. I go to my first Saturday morning Al-Anon meeting. I'm sitting there. This 80-year-old woman stands up. And she goes, you know what? Bottom line of Al-Anon is that you didn't cause it, you can't cure it, and you sure can't control it. Key word of the day. So that's translated for me girls into get off their back, get out of their way, and get on with your life. And I'm like, you know what? That's, I mean, that was the first message I heard in recovery. I have preached that to myself every day since then, and that was over seven years ago. Um, But the truth is, I'm sitting here hearing her say that about her grown adult son, but I'm nursing Lucy. And so here's the question, girls. How do you get off the back, out of the way, and on with your life when you're nursing your child? And so I'm sitting there going, I can apply that to my brothers and sisters grown, Tennessee. How do I apply that to my children? So the last seven years for me are learning about how to detach and how to put myself in the arms of my Savior, get off their back, get out of their way, and get on with my life of redemption inside the circle, model it to the point that they want it, that they ask me why, that they kind of feel it. They can't take it all at once, but they kind of want to know, right? That's what we're living for today. The reality is we're out of control. It's chaos, and we tend to give up, to head to despair, to get depressed, to get to the point of I don't care, or I'm in denial that it's actually that bad. 
What are the tools? Now I'm going to spend these last few minutes talking to you about the tools that we have. These are all on the website. You can hear it. Um, talk about it later. We pray the serenity prayer. We got to know what's his, what's ours, and what's his. I have control centers in my house. They're called my bathrooms. And each of my major bathrooms, biggest tip I'll give you of the day, is have the, the elements in your bathroom to clean it every time you use it. Have your Lysol wipes, your smelly good stuff, your toilet bowl cleaner, and your brush in each bathroom that you have in your house. That way, when you go in there, it's almost like what Jesus does to our soul. Out with the old, in with the new. You use the bathroom, clean it, you're done. You never have to worry about your friends showing up to a nasty bathroom, right? And just use a different one each time you go to the bathroom. Most practical thing you'll hear all day. Okay. <laughs> but I also have the tools to clean my heart in my bathroom. Because sometimes, girls, that's the only quiet time you get. I have the power of a praying wife in one, the power of a praying parent in another. I have a Bible in each one, and I have several little devotions. The Courage to Change and One Day at a Time in Al-Anon are two of the most significant in my life. Um, I read them, try to read them, you understand that, every day, okay, at different points in times during the day, because the truth is we don't drink water once a day and get all we need, we don't breathe once a day and get all we need, and we do not feed on God's word once a day and get all we need. I have to keep going back, mainly because I forget what he told me the first time. But you got to keep going back. Keep it in your control center. I keep it in my car. I keep it in my purse. I need it on the go all the time. This, your days of having the beautiful eye-opening quiet time with all your stuff spread out before you, they're gone for a while. They're gone. That might happen on a retreat somewhere, okay? But not here, not now. Sometimes at your kitchen table, maybe. Your desk, Maybe. Turn off the phone. Put it away. Get with God. And go to the bathroom. Don't take the phone. Have some things in there. Take care of business. Kill two birds with one stone. And get yourself right with Jesus. And then wipe it down and you're all done. Okay? But the serenity prayer is hanging over my toilet. Because when I go in there, I want to get right in my head. Give me the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. Lord, what's yours? What's mine? What's ours? Okay? All in deep need of this kind of recovery. You've got to figure that out on a daily basis, okay? We see this only at the cross. Your ultimate example of self-control is Jesus. The only thing that held him there was his love for us. He didn't have to stay there. Girls, you don't have to stay in the game. Maggie, she don't have to stay. She can leave anytime she wants to. Jesus held himself on that cross for us. The nails didn't hold him there. Pilate didn't make him do it. The guards didn't keep him. He could have annihilated all of them. You have the power to walk away. Don't do it. Stay in the game. His love held us there. Ask for him for the courage and the power to change the things you can. Don't quit. Now, I brought this. You're glad that I'm not carving a pumpkin for you because I almost did, but I decided not to. The pumpkin gospel. This month, you have the opportunity to share Christ with your free people in a whole new way. All of us are like sheep that have gone astray. We are like that pumpkin, powerless. Did that pumpkin have the power to walk over here? No, it did not. But God, in his son, sent Jesus Christ to come and get us. They decided they wanted us back. They brought us. Is, can this pumpkin carve itself? No, and I can't either because it's plastic. But if you had a real one, it could not carve itself. Okay, so Jesus, through the word, which is the sword and the Holy Spirit, come in and he carves us out and he takes something beautiful and he makes us into a light for the world. But you know what we've still got to do for this to work, especially in a dark world, is we've got to go plug it in. I don't see one, so I'm not going to worry about it. There's one. Okay, so he, we've got to plug it in. But the truth is, if we lose connection with our head and we refused to be plugged in every day, we don't light up our world. Now, the truth about this pumpkin is, one day it'll probably rot, not really because it's plastic and it's going to be here until Jesus comes back, but the real pumpkins, they rot, right? We die. This body is going to fade. That next generation is going to have control over what we invest. The light is eternal, and that's what we can pass on. So this October and all your time that I know you have, I want you just to get a couple of pumpkins 
I want you to invite a couple of little neighbors over whose mommies need to hear that gospel. And I want you to have a pumpkin decorating or carving time. And this is Beau Fournette, our elder, dressed up as Charlie Brown because I rewrote Charlie Brown's pumpkin skit for our neighbors when Beau and Natalie and John and I, all our kids were babies, and we invited our neighbors over and we carved pumpkins and we shared the pumpkin gospel. Now that little Snoopy that's sitting down there carving the pumpkin on the ground, she didn't buy the gospel. But we put her in the skit, carving the pumpkin, and she's hearing the gospel all behind her. She says, yeah, I'll be in a skit. It sounds fun. She don't know Jesus. But she's sitting there carving a pumpkin. God gives us ways and means all around us to share his light of his love with people. Do it. Be the pumpkin. Share the pumpkin gospel. Have a pumpkin carving party. Celebrate life with your Halloween costumes. Don't celebrate death. Let them dress up as firemen, policemen, doctors. You can't dress up as a lawyer, and that's kind of questionable anyway. But <laughs> celebrate life. Don't celebrate death, okay? So that's the way you do it. Bring it into the real world. We are surrendered. We are under control. Live in such a way that like the soldier at the cross said, surely this was the Son of God. When he saw how Jesus died, he was convinced because he knew he didn't hold Jesus there. He knew Jesus was there of his own accord. Let your children see you live in such a way that they go, surely that's the Son of God alive and at work in her. Because mama, she don't have that kind of self-control. When that person mouths off to her in Walmart, I know what she's capable of because she delivers it on my head on a regular basis. But here she responded with a bit of self-control. You know, that's Jesus, okay? How? Mindset. Keep focused on the end of the story. I have some good friends who took my daughter to a midnight movie of the second of the Hunger Games. She hadn't read the book. She hadn't seen the movie. The girl had read the book, seen the movie. I don't know why we let her go. We thought it would be smart. It was a bad move. My oldest, who's a drama queen, was practically jumping in the lap of her friend because she didn't know what was going to happen. Margaret had read the books. Margaret had seen the first movie. Erin, who was with my second child when she watched it, seen the books, seen the first movie. Was she scared? No, because she knew what was going to happen. Why? Don't be surprised, Jesus tells us. If you don't read the book, girls, you don't know the end of the story. How it plays out in the movie is always real different than what it looks like on the page of the book. You can't tell them right from wrong. Oh, that's not true to the book. That's not God's word. You've got to know the book so that you're not surprised and your comfort for the freaks who are sitting beside you who don't know. And you can share the truth with them, right? You want to know. Get your mindset, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Kegler, Kyle Kegler, really sad that he's going to Plano, thinking about moving myself. But if you have an inkling, go with him because he's really good. Um, he has a card that he keeps with him all the time. On the front, it goes, this is what I've got to do today. And on the back... It says, this is what God's got to do today. Because you guys, we can only focus on what's ours, right? And we got to give him what's his. We choose which side of that card we're looking at all the time. So Kyle goes, I'm going to work on what I know you're giving me to do today, God. And here's what I need you to work on that is out of my control. Real simple. Keep that card in your pocket. Put your verse of the day at the top. Um, As you nurse, we've already been over that. My question to you is, are you giving your children mad milk? My third child, she got a lot of mad milk because I was out of control sitting nursing her, watching my other two do everything I didn't want them to do at that given time or fuss and fight. I think Emily Jane's the way she is because she got mad milk. And if you knew her, you would understand why I'm saying that. There is an angst in her, okay? God made her that way. I'm going to say that here and now. That's who she is. But she got a lot of mad milk because I wasn't centered. And I would sit down to nurse her. Things would not be... Things would be chaos. She got a lot fewer psalms and proverbs read over her, let me tell you. Um, First one, quite a lot. Emily Jane, not so much. Fifth one, I don't think she even knows where they are. So she, I just encourage you to do the psalm and proverb that we talked about earlier. The funnel widens. At first, this is where the weaning becomes processed because that's where control really becomes hard. You're weaning them off you. At first, they're sitting on you. You're being so nourished. You're feeding them. They're soaking you up, right? Um, it's all about you, right? The only way to control what they eat now when you're nursing is what? What you feed yourself. It's true spiritually too, girls. And it's true today for me with my older ones. I can't do a dadgum thing about what she goes to school and eat. 
but I can model for her. This last year, I lost 30 pounds of Lucy baby weight, finally came off with the help of some good friends. And my oldest one looks at me, who has disdained me for much of my motherhood, and said, you've become my model. I really like what you're doing, and it's working. The first time she's looked at me with those kind of eyes, I can tell her what to eat all day. It didn't matter till I was drinking the smoothies, and I was drinking the water, and I was eating lean and clean. It didn't matter. Okay? So be the ball, girls. Be the ball. Um, As you cook and clean at every meal, God is great, God is good, and we thank you. Revisit the story from starting blocks. Sing a song about God being great. Sing a song about God being good. Repetition is your friend. Brining, you can, this is another talk on marinating. Brining is where you put meat in salt water and it softens and tenderizes it so that when you put the marinade on it or the dressing, it soaks it up. So brine your hearts in God's word. Brine their hearts in God's word by dripping it in every day, letting them soak. Review your Bible stuff at each meal. Two out of three is great. And then when they soak up the sweetness, when you put the word there, the marinade, it soaks it up. Look up brining, Google it on the internet. It's fascinating. It'll make your chicken taste great too. Okay, that's just a little tip. Stop, drop, and roll. The only thing we have control over is prayer. I really encourage you to get in the habit of praying. For those of you who have done foundation group, A Lasting Promise, the new version, has a new chapter on prayer. Get it. Read it. It's incredible. Praying for our husbands, praying for our kids, that's where our control levers are, is really abiding in him. God is great and I'm small, and Lord, we thank you that you've got it all. Um, Make up new versions for that. We made that one up. Um, 2 Corinthians 2, 9, pray it over them over and over. And the God of all grace is able to make all grace abound to you so that at all things, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Um, A dear teacher told me, keep them close, pull them near. And then Lord gives me rhymes, I don't know why, whisper sweet words in their ear. Your whisper with your children is 10 times more powerful than your yell. My children don't do what I say and they don't hear what I'm telling them to do most of the time because I'm too strong in my words. Okay, from up here to the back of the room, it's okay. But when I'm talking to you like this and you're standing right there, you kind of feel like Ursula has come to be your mom. Okay, it's not good. The Incredible Hulk of Mommy does not, is not powerful and effective. Okay, that's who I turn into, this green person, when I'm not getting my way. But when I get down on my knees and I whisper to them and my eyes are soft and my voice is soft, they listen. And it's the same with God. It's the same with us. So your whisper is where your power is. And laughter. This one girl started talking about fake laughs, Katie Laird, in our carpool the other day. And this is the last story I'll tell you. And I was in, I will just have to tell you, I was in a pissy mood that day. Pissy, pissy, pissy mood. And I was not happy and things were not going well. And so they're getting in the car and all I'm doing at this point in time is just trying to keep my mouth shut, driving my carpools, right? I'm the shuttle driver. I'm not Uber, I'm Goober because I drive a gold minivan, okay? So I'm just driving you where you need to be. And they're talking about fake laughs. So they start fake laughing and they start mocking people's fake laughs. In the 10 minutes it took for get to school, to that, to her house, we were crying tears of joy. You have got to find out what makes you happy, what makes you laugh, and do it often and well. You want your kids to go, our family's fun, and when you see it going south, start the fake laugh gig, get a laugh box, keep it in your car, turn it the ship around. You are the thermostat. You have the power to do that. Do you see that thermostat somewhere in the room? It's around, I don't know where, somebody has it in a control panel. We're the thermostat. If I'm reacting like the thermometer, I'm not in control. You, you determine the climate. We laughed. She has become the um, laughter queen in our car, and I love her for it, and it has helped me so much. That, um, laughter is good medicine, okay? Choose two things to say to your kids. I'm wrong and I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Say it often and say it well. Hear their resentments, hear their hearts. At night when you're putting them to bed, go, has mommy hurt your heart today? Has anybody else hurt your heart today? And don't explain it why away. Say, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. If you keep those short accounts, you will keep them soft and supple and ready, okay? Use those two things. Make it fun and ask for forgiveness every day at some point in time. And that doesn't require any money, any time. It just requires your mindset being on those things. Misery loves company. Nicole Sims and I had the joy and privilege of, for the last few years, watching. We can just tell you how to do it wrong, but gathering girls about us. I know the Nest had some this last summer. Millie does some. 
doing some book clubs, and ours has been going for about three years. When Mel had Braden, we sat down and we're like, look, I can't tell you what to do right, but I can tell you what to do wrong. Misery loves company. Get your arms around some girls who want to go deep once a month, get together, come in your jammies, bring your babies, let your husband have the rest of them, and talk about some things that are going to make you stronger. I've put some resources here. These are only a few, not all. Arena Larson has Lit and Lyrics, a website. They have a story time here each month. Older moms kind of do it. Come along, teach you some books to read with your kids, feed you some good ones for your soul. Look it up on the website. It's there, litandlyrics.com or org. Get with some people. And these are the questions you ask yourself. How do I love God? How do I love others? First and foremost, my husband and my children. And how do I make him known? How am I loving my neighbor? And let that be the theme of your clubs. I'm going to pray. We're going to have some table talk. And then I I think I've eaten up all my time for question and answer. But you guys enjoy each other. Um, Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you um, that even when we miss our cutoffs and things are chaotic, that you are Lord and God of all. I pray for some good discussion. I pray that anything we said today has its roots in you, and we walk away feeling encouraged and strengthened that we are under your control, and, um, and we can live like that. Even when the external is chaotic, we can be um, in, let you be in charge on the inside. And Lord, forgive us when we talk like we're in charge. Um, forgive us when we just address our kids in ways that are not appropriate. And I pray that we just talk in humility and love and grace and consistency and kindness. We love you and thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.